Alright, welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. I am here with Curtis. Hello. And a returning guest star, Samia. Hello. Uh, so we are here to talk about what movies we watched this week and try not to talk about whether or not they are good or bad. What did we watch this week? Uh, this week I watched Moonlight and Game Night. Uh, Moonlight and... and Game Night rhyme. I like where we're going with that. <laughs> what did we watch together, Samia? We watched The Little Things. Ooh, that new Jared Leta picture. And I've already said that the titles, one of those broad titles that I will never attribute to this movie on accident. Yeah, it does feel like one of those titles that somebody wrote a screenplay and then like they were like, that. that's the title. <laughs> like, with, you know, Catfish. Yeah. And they were like, they had somebody else suggested they use the term Catfish after watching oh, the documentary. Oh, I didn't whatever, know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh. First movie we're going to talk about tonight, uh, Moonlight, directed by Barry Jenkins. This is Jerry his... Jenkins. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> this is his second feature film about a black kid who doesn't know what he is and gets... I don't know if that's the best way to say I'm it. I'm pretty though. sure he knows he's human. <laughs> yeah, the... I hope he knows he's human. <laughs> that's actually fairly questioned, the way that people discriminate. You know, oh, uh, that's a that's a fair way to put that. I, yeah. You but know, I, I, it's more to do like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood are literally beating him. Yeah, for not being, you know, what for, they. Yeah, yeah it's uh, for not being the same, and he doesn't understand why until much later. But it's it's about his journey into becoming him. Each act of the movie is uh, labeled by how the kid is, how he identifies. Throughout the entirety of the movie. So the first act, when he's a kid, the, the chapter is called Little. Because everyone calls him Little and he, he doesn't know why, but that's just what people call him. Act 2 is called Chiron, which is when he starts to form his own identity. He doesn't want to be called Little anymore. His friend starts calling him Black, which is the title of the third act. Which is when he takes on that name and that identity. You experience all the big moments of this person's life. Formative experiences, yes. um, relevant relationships rounded throughout every age. Yep. And to the point where, like, when one is little, one doesn't experience, let's say, sexuality the way one does when one is older. So the thing he is experiencing that makes him different from everyone else involves uh gender representation and i think it moves on to other aspects of his life and the way it shows up as he ages and as that shifts in him like identity shifts right. in him also the idea of of conforming to societal norms and how that puts pressure on Chiron in particular when it's in the Chiron stage of yes. the story when he's in middle school. The scene that made me think of this is the scene where he's on the beach with his uh, friend. It spins around to what he wants to do. It's a question directly asked by his friend. And I think his answer is, I want to do a lot of things that aren't normal. And his friend comes up with the suggestion uh, of like, what is normal? It's something along those lines. And it's, mm. it's, it's, him trying to normalize this thought process for Chiron. And there's moonlight in the scene. And there's moonlight in, 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 in the scene. This is also 
the first and only sexual interaction for Chiron in the entire movie, and it's it's this very intimate and private thing, to the point where, at the end, where his friend is moving his hand in the sand, kind of, like, burying the thing. So it's just for them. I don't... I, it's been longer for me, and my, my brain is not as good at retaining details, but... To me, the the key to the story is that relationship between Kevin and Sharon, yeah. and the we see the formative moments. We see what shapes him with his peers. We see what shapes him with his family. We see a, another how... character that's really pivotal to the character's development is the character that's played by Mashallah Ali the mentor character. It's a good representation of what seems like something that I see happening. A lot of people don't consider that when you live in a world that is beating you up because of biased judgments about who you are and who you should be, the people who welcome you are the people you're going to want to model after and become for better or worse. Yeah. The character is in a place where they feel like they're not being accepted anywhere. And the person who accepts him is Marshal Ali's character. And so he looks up to him. And I, as a result, I think it's, it lays out the framework for who he ends up becoming in the future. He has two formative peers in his life. One is Ali's character and the other is Kevin. And both have been in his life since he was a young kid, where Kevin is the one who tells him, you have to be tough. You can't show them that you're soft. And yeah. that that follows through to the Chiron section, where he lets his guard down. He pays for letting his guard down. The very next day, he acts tough. He grabs a chair and... So basically, the environment he lives in punishes him for vulnerability. And as a result, he, he has gets to... spiky. He has a grill. He, he has on, tattoos. He puts, he has on, muscles, he puts his... on a persona. He fills the shoes society seems to be pushing him towards. Mm. Okay, so there's a term intersectionality, which just means the crossover between multiple things that would get you oppressed or victimized. He's a part of two minority groups. So the first minority group is race. So he's black. And then the other one is his... I guess we it's fair to say sexual orientation. He is I think they're implying he's gay, but he could be bisexual based on other interactions and stuff or he's just burying it and he he is fully gay and he's just trying to fit that facade that he's putting on later in life. So the, the way that the, I viewed it, I, I see him as gay and I see his friend Kevin as bi. I see that makes sense. I think focusing on one person's life allows you to see the intricacies and the of each person's struggles. When you're wrapped up in this story, none of that stuff is really on your mind or matters. You just this feel is, bad for him. Or, this is yeah. stuff that you think about because of the movie, maybe? Maybe not even. Maybe this is just something personal and being forced... To feel empathy for these things that you would never have yourself. You don't have to worry about having a crush with another kid your own sex. So, uh, you know. Is is there any point in going into the poverty situation with uh, Chiron? 
there's another there's another intersection there so pa every every character he's or every other yeah every other character he's dealing with while he's being bullied as a child and teen are equally as poor as he is but it's so only that, through the mother that we see the impact that poverty has on a person's decisions and yeah. choices and, and a, a parent's role in teaching their kid, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to survive, like they're in yeah. survival mode because of poverty. And so this is yeah. the way they respond to problems yeah. the kids are having. Like, that's yeah. really the lens. Yeah. But you're right. It is. A yeah. And the, the movie goes out of its way to show like the school. Well, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm well, the school, but I'm, I'm, I'm still going on the relationship with the mother and Chiron, where it shows the, the gradual downfall of her drug addiction. Mm. Uh, because she starts off as a very uh, empathetic person who's worried about Tyrone not coming home. And she's acting like a normal mother where uh, she takes away TV privileges. Later in that same chapter, the TV is just missing because she sold it to get drug oh, money. Oh. I think that's the thing. I think uh, you're exploring so many different aspects of marginalization and and struggles and community issues in this environment and you never have to feel the weight of them because all you have to worry about is empathizing with one character okay uh selene is the goddess of the moon in greek mythology she drives a chariot of the moon across the sky and she is tied in with a love story where she visits a mortal man every night um, who she finds beautiful. And so I wonder how much I feel like everybody has a little bit of influence of Greek mythology in their thinking. I wonder how much influence there is of that that love story into Associated the concept. So, yes, yes. So here's yes. the thing. To your point, the two most intimate moments in the movie happen at night. Right. Yeah. So... Nope. Lighten things up for a little bit. Yes, so up next we have Game Night is a very simple comedic premise of a, of a movie where you have two... It's it's the idea wow, of... I don't think it's that simple. Game Night is the concept that these two people who happen to fall in love over the fact that they're good at games... Competitive at games as well. It ties into this person's relationship with his brother, and so they end up involved in a game... That may or may not be a game and they're not sure. Like, this is literally yeah. the definition of complicated. Okay. Like, and that's sometimes what humor comes from yeah. is complicated complications. Situations. So, yeah. yeah. It's a series of decisions gone horribly wrong. All right. So, the real story, as simply put as I can, mm-hmm. is a brother who is not very successful, and I won't say which one, mm-hmm. attempts to live his life in a way that his brother would see him as more successful. And as a result, gets his brother mixed up in an absolute life-threatening nightmare. But the characters are not aware that they are in a life-and-death situation until about halfway to through two-thirds of the way through the movie. Mm-hmm. At which point they are already wrapped up in a position where they can't really ask for help. And so all of their reactions aren't taking the situation seriously. And that's the kind of ironic, dramatic irony that kind of brings out most of the comedy of the situation. Right. Until 
the comedy shifts from being mostly dramatic irony to absurdist humor about what people are willing to do to get out of tricky situations. Right. But they just escalate to the most extreme ways of getting out of something possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of running gags in this movie that I didn't realize until the second time watching. So, like, how glass tables don't break when someone falls on them. <sighs> on top of that, a lot of the humor, it seems to me, is very improvisational. Like, it's, it's one of those kind of movies where... I don't know about that. I'm going to challenge you on that because I felt like there was a weird amount of effort put into the production design of this movie. That's, yes. That's, I don't want to take up a bunch of time with the rant about how comedies aren't allowed to be just comedies. They have to be, they have to be like action comedies or they have to be dramatic comedies. Like this is an action comedy. So yeah. there's a lot of planning that has to happen to make an action scene work. So a lot there can't be too much improvisation because otherwise the action can't go the way it needs to well, go. That's, yeah. You might be able to improvise dialogue around it and take a couple of different takes. But for the most part, you really need to get specific reactions from the characters to have setups and payoffs for how they react to it. Okay. That on top of... The way that they digitally record the neighborhoods so that the houses look like a game board and the yeah. cars look like game pieces. And then the way that they, when they're all having to throw a Fabergé egg across a house, they either they digitally do this. I don't really care if they digitally do this or, you know, or not. No. They, they do a one take shot through this house. Yeah. They absolutely did not have to do that, but they no. did. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I don't think so. Here, I don't think any of that is. I actually think it's possible for you to get more humor out of a situation if you focused on the editing of a back and forth of redundancy in having to pass the football back and forth. Mm. But Are, that's... Like, like you mean like a Scooby Doo going through the doors sort of like redundancy? Not exactly that, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's something <laughs> like I'm saying, I'm saying this stuff feels carefully chosen though. And it's interesting because the premise and the story at face value mm. feels like horrible bosses or feels like, like you said, a lot of improvisational comedies where someone could have taken it yeah. and just like made it without caring about these details mm -hmm. but somebody seemed to have some kind of vision to an extent for how they wanted mm -hmm. this to work mm -hmm. and like and that, like they seem honestly they seem about as obsessive as jesse plemons character and i think that's yeah. telling yes yes about yes. the situation <laughs> let's get into his character because i think he like <clears throat> i do want to talk about this movie because of jesse plemons like it's one of those dynamics where uh debbie and jesse plemons character were once married in this movie and the idea is that they're friends with debbie so they can no longer be friends with the with the todd i guess is what's his name i felt like his name's not todd that's his name from breaking bad uh jesse plemons is the actor and i think the situation was they liked debbie Oh, uh, they didn't. They never liked uh, him. They never particularly <laughs> yeah. liked him. So it's just easier to exclude him. So, but that's the thing. The guy is suffering. It's not like she died tragically. She just left him. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of. It's so. It's so <laughs> like you don't want to leave him too, but you really do want to leave him too, is the suggestion. Mm. And he's there. <laughs> 
And she's like, I'm wondering when we're going to have another game night. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, just... He's so... He's so dry in the way that he delivers his lines. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't really, there's, there's an intentional uncertainty in what his emotional state is about all of this stuff. He almost seems just invested as an, a police officer. Right. More than he seems to have emotions. And that's why, like, he, there's, his ex- facial expre- expression is you monotonous. You saved me from getting buzzed. I just realized I was going to say I had a favorite scene in the movie. That was nice. Okay, go ahead. He has a monotonous facial expression. Like, it's very blank. Um, so, so the result is the viewer can probably project whatever they want onto whatever the character they think is feeling. And that's how the characters also see Maybe. Like, is he mad? But that's the thing. Usually there's a a body language cue that if you project an emotion onto someone you and you think that's what they're feeling you can give a clue you're feeling the same way and they'll react but if you stay stoic you're like i was wrong yeah. and it's so okay so the clues about who he is as a person are in the details of his house and this goes back to the almost well i'm not going to say too much ah, almost too much detail in the movie for what they needed to do which if you think about his office, you know how he feels about Debbie and what he's <laughs> thinking in his head and how he may want to preserve things because he's a part of him hasn't let go of the idea that she's going to come back. Mm. But then if you look at the set design, I, I think we just saw in the trailer before we did this, when he's sitting with the group, there are two pistols framed over and then at his head in close-ups. Uh almost to say like you know fuck me like i I don't (laughs) know like no like uh, yeah so there there, there's there's that and god like and then his how the end credits are the web of his conspiracy of putting things together that's the uh, so like there's one of the big drawings for me is is actually the relationship between uh jason bateman and 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 rachel mcadams what does that draw you in uh, it's it's the it's just their dynamic. If of, what about their dynamic? I'm not gonna give a qualifier. You're ba- <laughs> you're, you're baiting me. I'm baiting you to do what? I'm asking you what was worth talking about about the relationship, Kurt is. <laughs> One, it's how they found each other through uh, their competitiveness with uh, not only trivia but just like games and winning in in general, and how it's the foundation for everything that they do. There are unexplored dynamics of their relationship that I'm curious about. But I think it's a good point that you brought up their relationship. Because there's the way that she talks about his infertility. Hmm. It's just, in the end, it's resolved as... Uh, As an inferiority complex. Yeah, it's just resolved. They They don't really deal with that together. Um, they're, the competitiveness between the two of them is not really part of the obstacles of how the story moves forward. I know comedies don't necessarily have to be, have a certain amount of depth or introspection over these issues, but I feel like as much effort went into the production, yeah, I would expect maybe to see some more thought, maybe more dialogue, yeah. maybe just... The choices that they make be driven by what their characters 
want from right. each other. I, so, I, so the depth of the characters. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Because the, on the other hand, mm. the characters being a little more, uh, not not like caricatures, but simplified. like simplified, uh, reflect the idea of game pieces on a board. Mm. So. <clears throat> I think I'm going to leave it at that because I like the middle ground where someone would be like, so is it good or not? Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you can decide that for yourself. Oh, and then like, it also ends with the brother not learning a thing from this entire experience because it's revealed that the brother made his fortune by selling stuff on the black market and he ends the movie by... Selling a watch list on the black market for for a couple of million dollars, and then he just doesn't learn his lesson. Gotcha. Hmm. Final thoughts. The little swirly, things, swirly, whirly. So. Like it's... The little things came so. out three weeks so. ago. At this point, maybe four weeks ago, yep. maybe even five. It's I'm not a... entirely sure so. how math works. <laughs> so, the little things is the movie that Samia picked for us to watch today and tonight. So, Samia. Describe the little things for us. Alright. Actually, I made sure to write this down. The question that we're going to have for our guests. Okay. And I hope that this doesn't feel too challenging. Maybe we'll find another wording down the road. But Samia, why do you want to talk about the little things? Alright. So the little things, again, I'm going to try really hard not to get buzzed on this. Uh, The little things is a... Um, genre of movie that holy crap I, I like that genre of movie <laughs> <laughs> and um and uh that counts as one point <laughs> <laughs> and so still only counts as one. yeah I I also um it's neo-noir it's okay there's also serial killers in it. You're a fan of neo-noir, right? That is a topic of, or a genre of movie I watch more than other genres of movies. For reasons unknown. Well played. So, <laughs> uh, The Little Things is that movie that you've seen floating around on the internet that ended up coming out on HBO Max. Starring... Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto as someone else, kind of, not really. You know what? I was a proponent back before I watched Suicide Squad of Jared Leto playing the Joker, just because I feel like Heath Ledger showed what potential there was in a character taking a role that is... Uh, taking a role that is adaptable and can be defined in so many different ways. Uh, for a method actor, I, I thought that would be something that really fit the way that he seems to want to play characters. But it's gotten to the point after Blade Runner 2049, after, uh, the Joker, uh, in Suicide Squad, and after the little things that I don't 100% understand the the motivation for 
creating this kind of character. Um, when Gary Oldman plays Dracula, mm-hmm. he still looks like Gary Oldman when he's fully human and in modern day. Yes. They don't do a lot of prosthetic makeup to make him do that. Right. When he tries to disguise his looks, it is usually because something has happened to the character that someone would be deformed, like in Hannibal. Okay? Jared Leto still looks like Jared Leto. And so when he tries to look like he's not Jared Leto, all I find myself thinking about is, oh, that's Jared Leto. And so I, I'm not able to see this character that he's trying to create personally. I'm just watching now. Oh, Jared Leto, what is he doing? Okay, a limp. That's one of the things his character is doing. I might maybe he's supposed to be paying attention to that. Oh, he's making sure that his hair looks unwashed. Oh, he's making sure of this. These are details that I need to pay attention to, especially in a procedural uh, thriller. Mm-hmm. Where the whole point is you're solving a case and murders and things like that. There was a point in the movie, for example, that Denzel Washington sneaks into his apartment and finds teeth in a jar of glass. I fully expected that to be like a him missing that to be he bit a victim and there were teeth missing. Ah. Oh. And there was n- never any payoff for that. I think you're you actually got onto something. There wasn't payoff for it, but I think it was like a sort of a thing that you're supposed to like. Oh, they can't ba- match the bite marks to him because he changes his actual bite. Like I think it was supposed to be like well, he a never very... bit any victim. Yeah, all the victims have bite marks on them. They do. Yep. Yeah. So you caught on to something that they literally didn't tell you on purpose because they wanted it to be like sort of behind you like for your brain to go oh my god like on your own i think that's that's what i think but i think in a word that can sum up the biggest picture that i had for this movie which is a lot of doing things for reasons that i don't understand by the end of the movie for example trading off character traits between denzel washington and rami malik yeah right before the third act of the movie and it's yeah, that, that was... Like, it's not a gradual transition. I, maybe it's an editing thing, but I believe the concept is supposed to be you have Denzel Washington's character. He invests his whole being into cases, which is a bad thing because it leads to issues in his is life what or whatever. Say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, then, um, and then you have Rami Malek's character, which is like, by the book's... Seems to be all boundaries. Yeah, all boundaries. And and you have... And he's I- replaced Denzel Washington's job directly. Yeah, yeah. He's and so, so you kind of... The idea is you... Like, as Rami Malek's character is trying to get better at his job, or, like, do his job, he sees how Denzel Washington's techniques lead to things getting done but harming him and and i think it's it's not i think we, when we were watching it we said we said that it felt kind of like a negative influence on him had a negative influence on rami malik but it's that idea of like transferring over i just see because the way that you're speaking is as if is as if this is what happened but i think your original point was is this is what could have happened 
Right. No, I'm saying I'm saying like that's 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 what they tried to show. Did they show it well? I no, I don't think say. they tried to show it at all. Oh, okay. I absolutely did not understand Rami Malek's motivation for anything he did, period, from the beginning of the movie. He seemed like a character who was oppositional and defiant regarding Denzel Washington's character. And one time, Denzel Washington was able to pick up on a clue that they weren't able to pick up on. And so he agreed to work the case together with him. After that, every single time Denzel Washington did something, it put their... uh case and their ability to resolve it uh in jeopardy and the idea is we're supposed to pick up on that Rami Malik has this buried frustration with the system and how it works mm. but well because he gets angry and at one point he flips off yeah. from the other side of the door you know about what's happening but Rami Malik sticks by the books and does absolutely nothing other than step out of the way of Denzel Washington, who seems sure-footed in what he's doing, until suddenly, when they get in the car to start staking out Jared Leto, they have a one final conversation where his character confirms he has not changed, where he says, I, have I can wait until this is over. I have all the patience in the world to deal with this. And a quick couple of shots later... He punches the window, frustrated about how long it's taking. And from that moment forward, he's aggressive and he's angry and he's lost it. And he's taking every piece of bait. And he's suddenly the angry one and Denzel Washington is the measured careful one. I, I, I believe, I believe, again, this maybe it wasn't portrayed in the film this way, but this is kind of how what I picked up on, is the idea that maybe the character... um has because he's a golden boy he's never been put in a position where his his back is against the wall and he's he, he's like, not put in a position where his back's against the wall he with only this has either he has two days before the feds take it over and so the feds can take it over he has no personal investment that's that's not that's not how that's not what he says in the movie what does he say he says in the movie that he he wants to get this guy put behind bars or caught or whatever for the girls, for these girls. And Denzel Washington says, that's great. I want to do the same thing, but for myself. And so the, you have this concept that he's he's feeling more pressured to get this done. And he has, now has a time limit of two days before it gets snatched from him. So do you, do you he think has never, prior to that instance, expressed a sense of personal pride. He, at one point, he says... From the moment the girl is dead until the person is behind bars, he is responsible. Like, that is one hint that you get. Other than that, if the FBI were able to handle the case more effectively and that ensured justice happened, there is nothing this character says to indicate that he would be upset about the FBI taking over. That's true, because I think Denzel Washington... Um... Like, he says literally to Denzel Washington, like, oh, if you're going to work this case and it makes it close faster, that's great. That's good for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So that is a flip, and I guess I don't understand when the flip happened of when he suddenly doesn't want the FBI to take over. Yeah, I don't it, feel like we saw it. No. Yeah. It, it, Editing it is a big thing. We'll yeah. get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's, it's yeah, because, like, Denzel Washington in this movie is presented as this... Uh, old experienced ex-detective and his story is he's being reintroduced to a murder case that he couldn't solve and now he has a new drive to finally get the guy and then for 
it, it's 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 presented very clearly that for Denzel Washington, this is this this is a point of personal pride for him. It's it's. I don't know if it's a point of pride. You're right, right. But Unresolved. it seems it, it really does feel like it broke his life. Yeah, and he's the one who is sure. This is the point where I understand it, and this is the point where we would have seen things flipped. He is sure they have the right person. That's why he keeps asking for five more minutes in his house. Yeah. For the evidence that they need. Okay? But they warn you at the beginning, it's dangerous how close he got to this, how far he's willing to go, because they can cause problems with, like, false, you know, yeah. issues and things like that. And I think all that we learned was that Denzel Washington really wasn't trustworthy to begin with. Yeah. So I'm saying, imagine this story where they didn't switch roles and Rami Malek was simply becoming more and more empathetic to his cause. Mm-hmm. And then Rami Malek gets fed up with waiting because he's young, but mm-hmm. Denzel is driven by his obsession with keeping the case, and Rami Malek is the one to go get coffee. Yeah. Denzel Washington would want to do everything Rami Malek has no reason to want to do in the end of that movie. Yeah. And to him, for Rami Malek to come back, and maybe, like, while he's getting coffee, somebody asks him how it's going. Like, this is midnight, like, you're supposed to be done. And and he kind of is told the story that is under behind the scenes of what happened with Denzel Washington mm-hmm. by the person privately just to say they need to put a stop on him. Yeah. And that's how he ends up finding him out there. But Rami Malik is just empathetic enough to get to say, like, Denzel, like, it's time for you to retire. Yeah. And then he just leaves him that piece of evidence. And then you see that Denzel has brushed off on Rami Malik in the, by him doing the same thing that Denzel does at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Are you following what I'm saying? I am, but I, I don't, I, I under, I think the director wanted to get something across that yes, yours is plot wise makes more sense for the characters that were put on screen. But I think, the director, or not the director, I guess. He, I guess director and writer are the same guy, right? Yeah, the, he just... Yeah. I'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so anyways, the writer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say writer. So the I think the writer's main point was he wanted to show the descent of the golden boy into the way Denzel Washington's character is. But he probably just didn't do it in a way that um, that was easily viewed... Yeah by the viewer and probably could have been done differently. So Denzel Washington is the corrupting factor yes. in the relationship, yes. but they didn't show the corruption. Right. Well, like they didn't, they didn't. as much as much. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about editing. Um, and before I go on to this, Curtis, what did you want to talk about this movie? So this is a movie that I, I knew nothing about until tonight. I just, it had actors in it that I knew that I knew I liked, but I, I didn't know a thing so about the movie. I, I hadn't even seen a trailer. So tonight is the first time I've seen anything. Wait, is he about... allowed to say what? Uh, it has characters that are actors he likes. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I, I knew nothing about this movie going in. I slowly got caught up into it because of the the premise itself. Is a... I think a lot of people have shown more and more investment in serial killers and, and yeah. that kind of thing lately. I think yeah. there's oh, like yeah. Netflix is... is there's a whole thing that happened yeah. for but, me. Ooh. That was a big but it's, chaos. It's, 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 it's also the kind of movie that like naturally draws me in. It, like you can draw a lot of similarities between this movie and uh, David Fincher's Seven, and Seven is a movie that uh, 
is it's a procedural crime drama. No? Okay. I got this. You've got this? I got this. Either way, so we'll, we'll see that. Everybody movie. has been criticizing this movie by comparing it to Seven. Mm-hmm. Curtis, you would probably recognize that it wasn't David Fincher who directed this movie. Yeah. I would recognize that. Either of you. Who was this director trying to direct like? David, David Fincher. Fincher. Yeah. Okay. This movie is a passion project from John Lee Hancock, who wrote this script in 1993, who finished this script in 1993. And we know that he didn't develop it that much because the movie is still set in modern day from when he wrote it. So it may not be 1993 directly, maybe 92, 91, but we see a Lost Boys poster on the wall. They're using non-cellular phones, wired telephones. This is set in the late 80s, early 90s. There's a dare uh, icon. The, um, poster in the background of the, of the police station yeah. because dare was that dare to do, you know, like whatever movement yeah. that failed. And... Uh, there are 80s clothes on characters, which, you know, they would be wearing. It's not like everyone would get a fresh new wardrobe in the early 90s of recognizable 90s clothing. There's also a No Doubt poster. They use a pager on... to communicate. Yeah. There's a No Doubt poster on one of the victim's refrigerators. Now, here's the important thing about that. Mm-hmm. Seven came out in 1995. Oh. Imagine... John Lee Hancock sitting in the theater watching Seven. Oh. Screaming, fuck! <laughs> over and over and over again through the whole movie. Because yeah. you had Seven intentionally subvert the expectations of 90s police dramas. You have Seven be a crime drama where... The original perspective and expectations of action movies were that you were going to have a car chase, a shootout in a warehouse, and explosions in the ending. And they said, screw all of that. We are going to make this a horrific ending where essentially you have a gritty noir staple and the villain wins. Okay? Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2021. This is the norm. And everyone is comparing him to David Fincher because we now have this expectation that when you see a police procedural thriller, you are going to get a tragic or terrifying moral implication in your ending. Yeah. Mm. And so this guy had the... By the time you get to the little things, you expect the thriller and tense ending. And David Fincher has replaced the warehouse shootout. And so in this environment, his movie is no longer original or interesting. He pitched it to Steven Spielberg at one point, which Steven Spielberg said no. I, You know, it took him so long to get to do all of this kind of stuff. Uh, this movie. And, and by pitching it to other directors. Because the other movies he made are like The Blind Side and, and Saving Mr. Banks. None, this is not his wheelhouse. And you can see that in the editing. The editing was causing me to spin in my chair mm-hmm. uh, physically. Mm-hmm. I was moving back and forth because... I'm not used to there being jarring intentional changes to things in different scenes. So, for example, they're sitting in a bar. Two characters are having a conversation back and forth. 
While they're talking about each other's personal lives, they're maintaining a 180 degree rule where the camera stays in front of the characters and looks back and forth between them. Then when the camera you say jarring. Are you saying it's qualifier wise jarring? I'll buzz myself for jarring. <laughs> All right. Um, but then the camera, every time they shift the focus of the conversation to the case, the camera angle is suddenly behind them, jumping back and forth to over the shoulders of each character. And then within the same scene, the camera is positioned in front of and behind them back and forth, not, you know, like, not always following the rules that I just set up for how it goes. It doesn't always work that way, but that seems to be the guiding factor that stuck out to me. Then, because this movie seems so much like it's trying to follow the David Fincher thriller tension sort of movie, you have long takes and and, and longer edits in sequences, like if you think of Rami Malek getting into the car, mm-hmm. and you think of them going through, and you think of them holding outside, you'd say like three to five second cuts between shots. Something like that. And then there's a scene where he's at home, and Denzel Washington meets his wife, and there was no, there was not a full two seconds in any one shot yeah. in that room. Yeah. It's I, I believe, again, maybe I'm giving the director too much credit... But I believe it was intentional because the idea is like... Oh, absolutely, it had to be. Yeah, like the, uh, the idea is like, this is not important to his life, even though it should, should, like, I guess it's supposed to be important to his life. Like everything, it, it's it's like quick because it's it's not the thing that absorbs his mind. And so instead, the thing that absorbs his mind is the stuff that's slow and, and building. But I'm, I'm going to erase the or i'm gonna defeat my own purpose by also saying there was a quick back and forth between when they were at a bar sitting together denzel washington's character and Rami those scenes are really quick but it was like passionate quick it's a different quick i don't know how to explain it so the the conversation at home Mm -hmm. the thing about quick edits Mm -hmm. is it's usually uh described it's usually used in film language to um increase the pace of something to make things mm. feel quicker and more intense. Mm. Usually the quieter, longer scenes are the dialogue scenes and the action scenes are rapidly edited. And that's why when you're able to pull off action sequences that are not rapidly edited and still maintain intensity, people give people kudos for that. Mm. But the, in this scene, you know, there's like a fragment second cheat kiss. There's all this kind of thing. You could simply have the same scene play out. It's almost like this scene They had a lot of coverage because they had a lot of different characters and they didn't want it to take too long because they weren't getting a lot of emotion out of it. And so they did it for pacing, I think. Mm -hmm. This is what it felt like. But I I could be wrong and I think you could be right. It could be about feeling disoriented in a comfortable environment and in an environment that's supposed to be comfortable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the thing is, I can't tell whether we're supposed to be aligned with Rami Malek or Denzel Washington. I think both of them. It would only make sense for Denzel Washington. Well, what I'm saying is, at this, again, this this is already building on each other, so my theory could be thrown out the window, but, like... At this point, I think Rami Malek is already starting to be corrupted by Denzel Washington. And so the idea of like family, the importance of family isn't hitting as hard as it would have been for him. Because by the, didn't he already miss the buzzer for his wife by then? Yeah. He, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's so, my point. It's already. 
Right. So, but it, like, so you're saying, I guess then the first it's not time a- we ever see his wife, Rami Malek already smiles and says goodnight to his kids and then looks at his wife and she asks like you said the buzzer and he's like yeah and he like gives her a shoulder okay. we have no idea why like, okay so i guess he already has the seed of the same thing denzel washington has then in which case denzel maybe, washington is not the yeah, it, it, corrupting it, it, factor well, it, it, it's it's possible that it but it's never presented in in a way that informs us that he is that way i mean the only thing that does is the fact that uh rami malik is taking denzel washington's uh old position which is just one way that you can correlate the two as the same character because it's one character taking up for the job of another but that it, that only can go so far i think there's a story here i think there's a story of a man who saw somebody make a version of his movie that was way more popular seven mm-hmm. and when he came back around to trying to make it himself you can tell that seven was still on his mind by the way he tried to direct the movie yeah because he's still thinking about David Fincher and this kind of thing. And I feel like as a result, what you had that you compare with and then it doesn't, it feels different, is Brad Pitt's scene where he invites Morgan Freeman over to have dinner with his wife. Mm. Yeah. And the purpose of that scene in Seven is for us to build empathy for Gwyneth Paltrow and to understand Morgan Freeman's perspective of them as a couple and to see them as the young innocents that haven't yet been corrupted by the city they live in. Yeah. The city that is intentionally unnamed, by the way. Oh. Mm. Okay. So you go from having no city and allegorical characters based on the pride Seven. and wrath and innocent Gwyneth Paltrow, wrathful Brad Pitt, simplified characters to LA with gray and mixed non-allegorical characters where you aren't 100% clear on what the relationship is like between everybody, and yet you still spend those same beats, and then they're going to inevitably be compared. Yeah. That brings me to my main point, which is unavoidably going to give me a buzzer. And so I'm just going to say I have a huge theory on what maybe would have worked better for this movie. There is There are waves of noir and neo-noir And there really is no word for a more recent form of neo-noir that is marked by Nicholas Winding Refn and Drive, that's marked by the Safdie brothers, that's marked by multiple different directors that are forming things, where there's a lot of, you know, in in original noir, you have classical uh, orchestral sounds, and you have black and white, and you have protagonists that maybe were morally upstanding, but have been tainted a little bit by the America they came home to post-war. And then you have neo-noir, which are characters that seem to be morally corruptible and are not always on the right side. You have flawed characters who embrace their flaws to a certain degree, but are still ultimately protagonists who are trying to help things, you know, be resolved in a positive way. So you have your Chinatown, you have your... um, I mean, Seven. You have Seven. And yes, so you you have, you know, David Fincher, you have these movies where uh, you explore that and then you have uh, jazz or you have like modern movie music or you have like uh, punky rock scores. A girl with the dragon tattoo could probably fall into this uh, neo-noir scenario. It is neo-noir. Okay. Like and uh, neo-noir, none of these have ever been stapled down as specific qualifiers for a specific genre. A lot of people argue about their own definition. Mm -hmm. But almost everyone will acknowledge that after Drive from 2011 with Nicholas Winding Refn, where there is a new distinct tone of 
neon lights, electric lights, using phones and things like that to light environments that would otherwise be dark, something that's colder, and characters like Ingrid in Ingrid Goes West, characters like uh, Robert Pattinson's character in Good Time, or Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. So, like, bright, vibrant colors, uh, I guess? No, no, bright, vibrant colors in the environment. And then I'm saying characters who are possibly morally bankrupt, mm-hmm. and you learn enough to empathize with them and their goals, and then the stories are ultimately tragic, but the idea of this person being a protagonist is gone. And so I don't know the term for this. The terms I like is either neon noir or splash noir or splatter noir. I've been trying to look up what other people are calling it. I haven't found a term that's been coined yet, so I'm sorry out there if somebody else is doing that, but... I feel like if this movie had taken a redraft to update it and help work out some of the issues with it that would make it more of a modern neo-noir, splash noir, neon noir, whatever you want to call it, I feel like you would lose the automatic judgment in comparison to Seven and David Fincher. And then you might have been able to, the writer might have been given a chance to think more about the relationships of the characters, not in context of Seven. And you might have been able to engage more with it without thinking about this other thing. And and because the story is unique enough for what it is, it just happens to follow so many beats that feel similar. Yeah. So. So I was just going to say, I, I feel like with your definition that you've come up with that like maybe maybe the way to describe the characters are that the characters are so goal driven that it's it's not per se morally bankrupt but more that their goal is like the more important factor than anything else so they have tunnel vision on the Yeah day? yeah yeah would that would does that yeah. yeah like that's that's at least now that you've said all those characters I'm like oh that's what popped to me like all those characters the are neon all like demon Yeah yeah they're all like tunnel vision the only yeah, that's thing a good is, way to put it Curtis like towards their goal And that's why I identified drive as the turning point mm. because after that you have synth scores for everything. You have mm. uh, sometimes like 80s retrospective themes in clothing. Mm. Uh, you have all of this bright lights. Like there's just a distinct difference. If you take a neo-noir from before 2011 and after 2011, you see these things get upped. But his character, the dr- character in Drive, mm. sees himself as irredeemable. Like he is that in mm. nature. Mm. And yet he's he's like caught it's like he still wants to be that kind of protagonist right right but he's sort of broken and it's it's it really is like the defining line of a shift to a different stage of that yeah and it's weird it feels like steps descending the more color pops into the noir genre the deeper towards hell you get like it's a very they go reverse trending like yeah I'm trying to think if there's anything else like that I want to talk about. It's like I don't, I don't think we talked enough about Jared Leto. I, that's that's what I was thinking too. Is that's probably what people would want to talk about. But then. that's the other thing is like there's as, as much so as, basically I'm unclear why cast Jared Leto and put makeup on him. Why not just cast someone else? See, that's what I, like I don't see what Jared Leto I, actually brings to the movie. It, purchase factor okay i was gonna i was gonna so Mm. so their new new thing that happened recently is 
We watched uh, two new, yeah, two, two, two possibly yeah, connected. Yeah, yeah. Someone caught wind that someone yeah, was doing something. Yeah, so there was a documentary that came out, like literally a hair's breadth away from this, um, about Night Stalker, the serial killer in L.A. And there's a lot of from 1985. Yeah, 1985. There's a lot of similarity. They even name dropped the Night Stalker in this. In the movie. They name drop. We haven't had this issue yeah. since Night Stalker beforehand. Yeah. And the complexion they give to Jared Leto right. is very similar to the character. He's, and yet, he doesn't put on an accent or affect yeah, 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 to yeah, bridge yeah. over into, like, brown face. No, 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 no. But, but they, he's, he's all, he's got a lot of similar, he's, he's like a crime enthusiast. He's got greasy, unkempt mm. hair. His he's, interaction in the yeah. interview room. Yeah, yeah. There are bits and pieces in the Night Stalker documentary right. that just like mirror what yeah. he's doing, and he's he's also like he wears the same clothes. He doesn't he, take care of his teeth, teeth that much. But yeah, yeah. Uh, when the police get onto him, he starts using bus transportation instead of his car, yeah, which is yeah. the beginning of the story of how the Night Stalker was caught. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so there's there's a lot of factors there, and 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 I also wonder if. The guy writing this. The guy writing it was just like in finished writing this seven. Um, sorry, in the guy writing this finished writing this three or four years after the Night Stalker was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so trial went on. Oh, that's right. Eighty yeah. nine. Where when all that of happened. the details yeah, would have come right. out and had media coverage. Right, so, there's, right. so there's that aspect. I'm actually kind of wondering if like aspects of the Zodiac Killer were also like mixed in with this. Well, like, L A. L A. serial killers for yeah. sure. Like yeah. But um. But, I mean, yeah, the Night Stalker is probably the most direct comparison that you can make with Jared Leto. I think, I just think that they wanted someone who could bring on the affect, possibly, of someone, of the Night Stalker, yeah, let's yeah, be yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, And they were like, but we want you, we, like, that guy had an idea in his mind, who would you immediately think was a serial killer beyond beyond being yeah. able to stop that judgment. Right, right, right. And then they just did makeup to make him look like this guy. Yeah. Well, I'm also curious. So, okay, so can you answer something for me? Because um, I forgot. The Zodiac Killer. Did, I know he went after people that were in, like, sexual situations, but did he ever sexually assault anybody? To my knowledge, no. That's what I was thinking. So this character, um, I think that the part where it came, comes from Zodiac rather than than uh, Richard Ramirez is the is who is the Night Stalker? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Not, so, you're, so you're right to not give him that. Yeah. So the freaking title. So the the um is that this serial killer does not sexually assault the people he kills. They say that it's sexual in nature, but he doesn't actually do any assaulting. While uh, R Richard Ramirez, like it was, it was the biggest factor. Like the well, sex part was the biggest factor. I just, I'm just assuming that because of media coverage, that was his idea. Because everyone talks so much about how at face value you could just see the evil in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I just feel like that's the model off of the look, because obviously the mm. point of this is to cast doubt on whether or not you made the right call. Yeah. Right, right, right. So if he went for a look on purpose, and so the point was, regardless of the actor, they have to look like this, because this is what everyone would be like, yeah, for sure, um, and be brought along well, for the ride. On on top of that, 
we this we don't because it takes place after the night stalker we don't know if jared leto's character purposely does what he does to look like the night stalker because he's uh he's an enthusiast of serial killers himself so yeah, he, maybe self-identified he, yeah. crime enthusiast yeah, literally so has a he, book of helter skelter in his room like so that, that's the comparison that i made charles manson charles manson like that's uh, the, the thing, impression that i got yeah and i can understand that um just because of like the look or whatever but you have to remember like think of charles manson and once upon a time in hollywood yeah yeah like, like that's the same actor who plays him in mindhunter he looks like him in mindhunter does not look like him when he was cleaned up okay and charles manson wouldn't really have looked like that and um this guy was not developing any followers remember okay. charles manson did nothing right right, right. And there's also, I guess I'm curious, they didn't give this guy any sort of, like, Satanism stuff, none of that, none right. of that stuff. Right, because you didn't, and what's weird is they could have, because they yeah. could have made it, like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is our guy. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the only, like, the biggest trait of of, uh, of Jared Leto's character is, is his intelligence. Like, he's he's portrayed as, as a very methodical, always one step ahead of the person who's chasing him, like he has this idea of what's going on, and he's he's able to act on it almost on instinct. And well, he has the police radio in his apartment, so some of it is just him just being ahead because of that kind of stuff. I think. Yeah. But the other, um, there's something I wanted to bring up. Speaking of that, is at the end of the movie when it's still not clear. Like, before they reveal whatever they reveal. Like, it's still not clear whether Jared Leto is the murderer or not the murderer or the serial killer or whatever. They give a description. Like, the Fed gives a description of what the serial killer is. Like, what you're looking for. Yeah. And it is an exact description of Jared Leto's character. But then they say, like, so what about all the leads we have? Mm, we should start from scratch. So there's this concept of, like... It makes sense for us to have gone after him. He fits everything. But at the same time, like, no scratch that we we have to start yeah. over. Like, I just, I personally will never understand the motivation and drive for the climax of this movie to happen. I, I just personally need someone to explain it. I, I guess, but that would suggest that I'm care about hearing the explanation you oh, know I, I would yeah. i mean i i just maybe i would like to hear from john lee hancock how he intended this to happen because let me ask you listeners especially those of you who haven't read this you're a police officer someone tried to sneak up on you they say they offer to bring you to a dead body that you actually suspect them of having killed so you go with them, you keep yourself defended and protected. They take you supposedly to where the body is and they say, it's supposed to be right there. Here's a shovel. You dig. Are you going to dig or are you going to tell that person to dig? I know what I would do. What would you do? I'd tell the other person to dig because I don't trust that person. Samia? Same. And so why Rami Malik digs upwards of ten holes... Just because, oh, maybe over there. Oh, maybe over there. Oh, maybe over there. Because it just, to me, Jared Leto feels clear. But to me, there's no reason for Rami Malek to do what he did. Yeah. 
they I think they did this poor uh, explanation of like I mean he he pointed out that oh if you shoot me you're gonna have to put you bury me you're gonna have to do a bunch of stuff and you don't want to have to do that because I'm I'm just not gonna do it like I'm just not gonna dig these holes and you can't make me. and you can't make me like it, it, like there, that was the implication and so so at which point you say okay well then we're gonna leave we're gonna get a warrant we're gonna come back and since you admitted to killing someone mm. I'm gonna come back with a police force of people who can dig. Like, and with that admission, they they have clear. Uh, they they could easily get a warrant to search this house. Or no, he didn't admit he killed her. Yeah. He said, "I can take you to the body." But that is still and yeah. still enough to get you a warrant. I would think though. that's that's enough for the whole premise of the movie, the interview from Australia with Hugo Weaving. Yeah, the idea is that he claims to know where the body actually they keep him for days on end without knowing. Yeah. Like, there's so much. There's it just it just yeah. they. I, I, if you chalk up one thing to human error, is that he's tired. Yeah. Because yeah. he's been doing this for a long time. Then he goes with him, and then he's tired, and then he's exerting stress yeah. over having to dig. You have to keep making human error excuses for this, but it's about the character mm. that seemed to have the most pride in keeping boundaries up to account for human error. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if it were Denzel Washington... yeah. Yeah, like, like yeah. The, the other, the other. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I think no, I'm no. Like, like, I mean, I, I like, like, I mean, that's just who would. It, it it just seems like the story is naturally leading to Denzel Washington being in that position, other than Rami Malek. Yeah. It, it, there, the, but there's also this. I think he was trying to put this factor of obsession in there because I believe he did dig a lot of holes with, uh, with. Uh, Jared Leto telling him like, well, why not there? Why not there? Why not there? But I think a lot of the rest of the holes were him like, Hey, I'm going to come back a few hours later um, to come get you. Okay. And during that time period, he dug more holes because he's like, this is my guy. I know that I can find the body. I can do this. And then when the, by the time Denzel Washington comes back, it's like he had dug more holes instead of already just having covered the body. I mean, with the holes he created. I'm not even sure that's not what happened. That's what I'm saying. I think that's what happened. I mean, it's, it's hard to like, for, for me to associate the obsession with Rami Malek because there's a a particular scene where he walks in on Denzel Washington's character being obsessed and he sees the posters on the wall and he bluntly says to Denzel Washington, you need help. So he's, he obviously sees that the obsession is a problem and he, it it, it goes back to, he he has a better sense of boundaries Mm. than Denzel Washington does. And it's thrown out the window at the end of the movie just to try to make a point. But Hey, I hope you all out there enjoyed this. Uh, My name is Eric and you can follow me at high contrast FLM on Twitter my name is Curtis, and you can follow me at 90sGamer407 on Twitter and by the same handle on Twitch. And I'm Samia, and if you like to look at cosplay and funny, nerdy memes, you can follow me on my page on Facebook, Samia Cosplay. So again, also if you like this, uh, remember that there is more content at the MusicCityDriveIn.com, uh, as we are a branch of their podcast network. And the last thing I'd like to mention is that if you have any comments, concerns, or questions, um, remember that we can block emails, but please email us <laughs> at filmcriticscritic at gmail.com. F-I-L-M-C-R-I-T-I-C-S, 
C-R-I-T-I-C at gmail.com. And you can send us comments, questions, concerns, tips for how to improve this. Uh, movie suggestions. Movie suggestions for what you guys would like to hear. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know if anyone's out there listening and what they think and, and where you'd like us to go. Um, yeah. So, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.